Las Vegas, famous, fabulous playground of the West. A wide open town that never goes to sleep. Vegas! Vegas, baby, Vegas! You're either in or you're out. Right now. My best mates are going to Las Vegas this weekend. I'm told it's incredible. Las Vegas, here we go! Pack your bags and get ready. You're going to Vegas with someone who knows Vegas inside and out. This is Vegas Never Sleeps with Stephen Maggi, the podcast. Las Vegas is a town that likes car racing. I mean, you know, with the NASCAR crowds, it's really an important thing. And that didn't just start recently in this century. Oh, no, it started last century with the Caesars Palace Grand Prix, a fascinating time that we don't know a lot about until now. A great book is out, and we have the author with us, Randall Cannon, and the book is Caesars Palace Grand Prix, Las Vegas, Organized Crime, and the Pinnacle of Motorsport. Well, what a fascinating topic. Now, uh, Randall, I understand you're a big fan of uh, auto racing anyway, right? So this seemed like a natural. I, yeah, I've been I've been involved in uh, well, at least in the fandom of motorsport, pretty much my certainly my entire adult life, and, and certainly my teen years as well. And and uh, you know, I'm, I raced a, a two wheel motocross when I was a kid, and there's so much overlap between two wheel and four, two wheel and four wheel. So yeah, I've, I've I've always been intrigued. Well, and I've been intrigued uh, not only with rapturous fans that watch auto racing and have watched it for years, but also <laughs> you cover an interesting time in Las Vegas history, a one we don't know a lot about the 1980s. wasn't the end of uh, mobsters in Las Vegas, as we know, but it wasn't the heyday of it back in the 40s and 50s. Did you, uh, with all your research, were you kind of surprised at what the atmosphere was like back then? I, I was. Uh, it, the 80s don't seem that long ago, but it was only... Uh, a little over a decade after uh, corporate ownership of, of gambling casinos was first, uh, you know, written into the Nevada state law. Prior to that, it was individuals and consortiums of individuals that, that were licensed to own casinos. So it was, it was still fairly new on the landscape. And, and uh, uh, you know, writings at the time would, would and, and more recently would suggest that uh, when, when corporate corporations took over the casinos, uh, they were just public figures standing out in front of, you know, the uh, National Organized Crime Syndicate that were the true owners. And, and so one must wonder, you know, how, how different are things now? Yeah, I guess so. But you, you look back at that time, Caesar's Palace, which is where all this takes place, was really the first great mega resort down there. You know, it was, uh, I remember when they built that, it was just such a huge thing. And of course, they had Evil Knievel jumping over the fountains and so forth. But this idea to bring a, a Formula One race, uh, kind of an interesting concept, right? Because there, there wasn't a lot of these in America. I know Long Beach had one for years, but it, it was more of a thing in Europe, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. It, it, Formula One uh, finds its origins in Europe. There were, at the time, in the late 70s, early 80s, there were two races in America, Watkins Glen on, uh, on the East Coast, Long Beach on the West Coast, and and so, yeah, this, uh, the Caesars Palace Grand Prix was, was quite a unicorn, to use the term. Uh, a, a third Grand Prix in a single country uh, had never been heard of before, let alone a corporate-branded Grand Prix. It was, it, was, uh, it, was, it was quite creative. 
Yeah, and Caesar's Palace was, was, I guess at that time, kind of, they were looking for ways to separate themselves and really making themselves uh, an international brand, right? Because everybody wanted to come out and stay at Caesar's. I know Sinatra used to play there. It was, uh, in, in those days, it still is a major player, but it was really a big deal. It, it was an extremely big deal. Uh, it was, uh, it, it was, yeah, you're right. It was, it was to some extent the, uh, the progenitor of, of modern Las Vegas as we know it today, the, the, the truly lavishly themed mega resort as opposed to a, a, uh, what had been primarily kind of desert-themed uh, destinations to that point. It was also the first resort that had been built on the Strip in almost a decade at that point uh, when it opened in uh, 1966. But it, it definitely reinvented the landscape. And, and not long after... Uh, it opened. It's it it started to attract major sporting events under its umbrella, and so to some extent, the Caesar's Palace Grand Prix was kind of an extension of that of that whole sporting events on campus uh, 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 culture that they built there on uh, you know at, the, at Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas. Yeah, because at the time they started bringing in, like you said, the great individual. You know the boxing matches, tennis, what have you, and now of course we've moved into team sports. But at that time, that was kind of a big deal. Was as this thing was going on, was there any fear at all from the all the car racing organizations and so forth about the possibility of you know gambling involved and so forth, like in the same way that it was by team sports that try in those days stayed away from Vegas. If if I may, I'll I'll date that subject all the way back to 1954, the very first premier level uh, uh, road or uh, automobile race in Las Vegas at at the old uh, thoroughbred track, immediately well basically on the grounds of the current Las Vegas Convention Center, and it was the Indianapolis 500 circuit of its of, of the era, and yeah, there was a lot of national concern about about drivers uh, taking a payoff and, and throwing a race as, as gamblers might put their, their hooks into them. Fast forward to the Caesars Palace Grand Prix uh, 27 years later, and uh, the, uh, the three contenders in the, world champ- the, the Formula One World Championship went off at 2-1 to one odds. Uh, Caesars didn't take action, but other books took action. So it's, it's quite a departure from, from uh, uh, the origins of professional motorsports in the Valley 20, just 27 years before. Yeah, that's really something. And, of course, it's kind of continued to evolve to the point that now you can almost bet on the events while you're there. <laughs> Just People don't worry about that. You can bet anywhere in the country, too. This book is a great book. You really need to get it because the character development in here is so fascinating. Everybody has this vision of vintage Vegas with the kind of shady characters and interesting people. And, boy, you uh, drug up a lot of those, didn't you? I certainly tried. I I knew I want, what I wanted to write about. It was, it was kind of an outgrowth of my first book about the old Stardust International Raceway in Las Vegas. And, but I, 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 wanted to, I wanted to understand the, the Las Vegas thread, the kind of corporate America thread, mo- motorsports certainly, uh, and, and, and where, was the, where was the mob? Where was the syndicate in all of this? And there, was, there were plenty of players to, to draw from. Um, it's just, it was part and parcel with, with the origins of, Las Vegas gambling, and certainly part and parcel with what I found uh, researching the, the, uh, that time period, the, not the early 1980s. Well, you know, it's funny because back at that time, too, people always associated the mob with boxing because they were deeply involved in it going back oh, decades beforehand. But this with auto racing is a little bit different. I, I think people are going to be surprised when they read your book that the mobs, if it was happening in Las Vegas, uh, they had their hand in parts of things. 
everywhere. There was no keeping them out. Everything that I've read, uh, FBI, Department of Justice, and otherwise, in, in mainstream period media, was that was that Meyer, if, if there was a casino, Meyer Lansky controlled the casino. Uh, and that, that's a name that should be well known to uh, listeners and viewers of Las, uh, of Las Vegas lore. And uh, the, uh, the chairman of Caesars World at the time, uh, Clifford Perlman, he's, he was alleged to be just a handshake away from Meyer Lansky, to be owned by Meyer Lansky. And then in, in the book, we see, we see what Clifford Perlman posed on the, on the podium, the, the, uh, the proverbial podium celebration at, uh, of the 1981 Caesars Palace Grand Prix. So there's a lot of connectivity there. And a lot of it was it was a deep research, but also intriguing and rewarding and, and very entertaining research and fun to put it into into pictures and put it into print. Well, that's one side of it, which is a blast. The other side is if you're a racing fan at all, these guys were huge, huge celebrities around the world, weren't they? I mean, the Grand Prix in those days was really thought of as one of those international sporting events. I guess the only thing really close to it uh, in our country would have been the Indianapolis 500. Yes, that, those are those are the two, still the two premier level uh, open wheel racing series in the world, Formula One and IndyCar. Uh, but consider Mario Andretti, uh, born in Italy, raised in America. I dubbed him in the book, the great American race car driver, which he truly is. And his last full season in Formula One after he had left the IndyCar series was 1981. Uh, he raced at that 81 Caesars Palace Grand Prix. That was his last full season. So that was the, the level of the attraction to the motorsports community and, and, uh, and to America. Mario Andretti is racing in this event. So it, 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 there's, there's just, there's, there's so many, there's so many attractions to the subject and, and Mario in the motorsports angle, Mario is top of the list. Absolutely. And you know, when you see what, how popular NASCAR is in Las Vegas, does it surprise you or do you kind of think like, no, that makes sense. Cause it strikes me as that Vegas, even in its much smaller days, did well with auto racing. People took to it. Uh, people did, uh, but there's always that corollary. And that's what you mentioned Frank Sinatra played at Caesars. Uh, the casino count room was going to have a really good night if Frank Sinatra was performing in the, in the Circus Maximus showroom. And by the, by the same token, uh, if, if NASCAR weekend uh, um, bumps the casino, the, count, the, you know, the casino count room take at the end of the night, then yes, the casinos will get involved in something like NASCAR out at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. If NASCAR weekend happens and the casinos flatline, then that's part of their decision-making process. It, there's always that corollary. Well, how did the how did the count room do? It, it, it's just it's what Vegas is built on. Yeah, well, and one thing you showed too in this book are the way these different, you know, the organized crime and the world of car racing, how they integrated and so forth. And it seems like everybody was in there. I mean, Jimmy Hoffa is in your book for crying out loud. <laughs> it, it is fascinating. I, uh, I I didn't, you know, it took the, it took the the research, the path through the research to really understand that 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 uh, there's so many tightly knit relationships between what we perceive as le- legitimate business and what we'd otherwise look at as, as the organized crime syndicate. And I started, started the story out post world war two and Watkins Glen, the, the early formative steps toward a, a, a full formula one grand prix in the United States. And I found some, some interesting connections there. Uh, go to, go to the, uh, one of the, the, there's a formula one event in Riverside, California in 1960. And I find connections between, the owner of Riverside and, and the Teamsters and Jimmy Hoffa and, 
and a prison term was the result of, of, of that affiliation. And then in Long Beach, it, it, it's hard to explain, but but uh, yeah, the, the the connections just never stop. There's there's always this this apparent elbow rubbing and handshaking, and sometimes literal literal business deals, and and uh, just really interesting stuff. You think that's how people? Why there's such a, an appeal? for mob stories and so forth. I think people just are fascinated by the organization. And as your book shows, it's quite intricate. You know, that there's on, on one side, it's really great business practices, but on the other side, it's a little out of the ordinary and there's crime involved. It's just, it's just a really interesting part of American life that most people can only look through the window at. I think it was uh, the chairman of the board of the Mob Museum, Jeff Silver, uh, he took a look. He took an early look at the book, and and uh, he said, you know, people should should buckle into in. You're going to get a front row seat, and you'll see how how organized crime just permeates uh, every everything. Every basically, the existence of American culture is permeated in, in in some way, some shape, some form. In terms of the actual layout, I thought that was interesting too. Putting something like that at Caesar's Palace and around the area. Was that kind of an interesting thing too? How they decided? Well, how's this track going to be laid out and so forth? It was. They, they had to have a certain distance. Uh, they had to have a certain speed range to to comply with with Formula One specifications. And originally, Caesar's Palace wanted to run it out on the strip right there in front of the resort, about a, about a quarter to a half mile length of the strip. It just could not happen. Um, it, at the time, it was still a, a federal highway. And it, those those approvals were just not going to not going to be forthcoming. So they looked to their own their own landmass. What do we have available? They had the big the big parking lot to the uh, to the north there, the one that's so famously flooded in the uh, 1970s, and uh, that didn't provide enough land. So they looked to the Suma Corporation, the former uh, Howard Hughes Tool Company Corporation, and they had the fallow dirt just south of what was then the Castaways. And so Caesars struck a short-term lease with with uh, Suma uh, to to use that land, and and then they 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 literally excavated, carved this track layout, and built a deep section Formula One specification asphalt system to create that you know ribbon candy layout that that uh, is kind of you know been made famous over all these years. But it was quite an undertaking. Uh, it was completed in about three months. And, you know, the the, uh, the trope is that it was a parking lot race course. It went through the parking lot, but it was indeed some very special asphalt. Well, the book is fantastic. Let's tell people where they can get it. I tell you, I think it's one of those books, too. If you love mob stuff, you're going to love this. But if you like auto racing, it's great, too. And you just want an interesting thing with great character development. I think this book, Caesars Palace Grand Prix, Las Vegas, Organized Crime, and the Pinnacle of Motorsport, is really a great read. So with all that, how do we get it? It's pretty easy to get. Uh, It should be in Barnes & Noble soon, but in the meantime, it's available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and by the publisher, McFarlandBooks.com, M-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-D, Books.com.